I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennium Money, I'm Glenn James and this guy is... John Pigeon. And today, John, we've got a bonus episode, it's a deep dive episode, yes. we're talking about buying off the plan. Mm. Now, lots to get through, lots. and who better to talk to us about off the plan properties than our good friend, Luke Racerberry <laughs> from Third Eye. Welcome back, Luke. Well, it's great to be back, thanks for welcome having me, Luke. everyone. I think last time you were on, I wasn't around. No. I was overseas or something. That's right. Yeah. That was uh, in Newcastle, wasn't yeah. it? We yeah. We went live up there. We did a follow-up, actually, because I we did one together, yep. and then I did one with Pidge, yeah. and, which was great. So, for those new to uh, the podcast or who may not have heard you on the podcast before, can you tell us a little bit about Third Eye, yep. your company, a little bit about you? Because I like to show people the person, not the position as well. For like sure. All that stuff. And we're just going to answer some questions about buying off the plan, and I might get you to explain the process with buying off the plan in a perfect world, how it works. For sure. But uh, over to you, Racer, and we'll, we'll see where we go. Well, look, it's great to be here. Love uh, what you guys represent, helping the young people get into property. I remember when I was young, and Pidge and I go way back, I was 24 years old, I'm a a kid from Gunnedah in country New South Wales and when I moved to Sydney I fell in love with property and what that um, represented I, I saw that as my way to create wealth and buying and selling real estate or trying to keep it as much as we can and uh, you know me and two mates another Gunnedah boy uh, Ron Ron Dad and, and Bobby Huxley the three of us joined forces when we were about 24 years old I'm 42 now so we've been going a little while and uh, and what third eye represents is investments in infrastructure. The three eyes in third eye was always to try and predict what was coming and what type of housing, what type of office and, and whatnot. And I'm really proud to say that, you know, we've been going nearly 17 years as a business. We've got um, $2.5 billion in projects now, which is a little bit more than mm. what we talked about last time. Um, and I can share the news with you, your viewers. We've expanded into London. So we're actually creating properties and selling them off the plan in in London and, and that's those pinch yourself moments. So you might know. have to do a live podcast in <laughs> London, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, claim that one on tax. Yeah. I think so. And look, and we've talked a lot about Newcastle and in Sydney I do everything from luxury apartment living on the water in, in Sydney. The Caraba Residence is our latest. We've got a $45 million apartment in that project. And then, you know, for our investors out there, we, we build hundreds of apartments a year. And Newcastle, in, in our opinion, is and always will be one of the best areas to live and invest. And, and we, we build a couple hundred there. And I, I hopefully get to talk about our next project with you guys for anyone interested in bricks and mortar. Mm. The thing that's always struck me about you, Racer, um, having known you for over 10 years, is in in the real estate game, Glenn, as you know, there's, there's 
people from all walks of life and uh, and you get a good feel about people within five minutes and, and the integrity of which you, I suppose, um, come with to, to people at, at all walks of life but also the quality of, uh, of build that comes with your reputation is outstanding. Yeah. And, and, and the thing just on that is – and, and people have heard me say this in regards to off-the-plan apartments or apartments in general, is that there can be a need or, or can be a, a supply issue. And you've always seemed to, to nail that component of it where you've it's uh, what you've finished is always in demand and never in an area that's yep. uh, uh, with the rest of the mob. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. I'd like to say that we've got it right all the time, but I've got my fair share of war stories when we, we started, but... One thing that Bob, Ron and I work really hard at, we surround ourselves with outstanding people. Our partners in industry are the best. Our builders now are some of the best individuals and, and family-owned builders. You know, we, we got caught up with some builders that weren't aligned with us. And, um, you know, when you put all those pieces of the puzzle together, you can build a really strong business around it. And I think mm. that's what we've managed to do in the last 17-odd years. Just as an observation, like, we probably haven't had you on the podcast for two years, like, before COVID, mm. you know, for a, a building and construction company to be still standing after two years of hell, that's a good testimony. And, you know, full disclosure, I've recently purchased a property off you up yeah, in yeah. Um, Stella thankful. in Newcastle. And I know two other people who bought in there as well. And we all settled during lockdown. I know. And <laughs> trust me, I've got a few grey hairs. Grey yeah. through those times. <laughs> yeah, it used to be salt and pepper. It's more salt these days yeah. than anything. And did you change your number? Because I tried to call you at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> how, in all honesty, how did you go through that period with uh, potential purchases? Because, at, at, and I was talking to Glenn about that that time, uh, it was in the middle of COVID. So mm. the, I would have thought that there might have been some lending issues out there. Yeah, look, I remember the, the Stella buyers had to settle in lockdown. So you imagine trying to do pre-settlement inspections, even for banks to do valuations and, and so forth. And again, it comes to that team, that the ability to, to write out these things. And I'm really happy to say that um, all our properties vowed up, which mm. is important when buying off the plan. I know we're going to talk about that later, but um, because of of who we are in that market in Newcastle, you know, we've this was our seventh project. Um, we had a really robust system to engage with valuers and 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 uh, finance people, get them access so they could settle. Um, I think out of the hundred and fifty odd apartments in that one. Only a couple didn't settle because, you know, circumstances change. I wouldn't say it was because of COVID, mm. but um, the amazing thing and, uh, you know, Glenn and a number of the buyers, they were in the money at the time of settlement. So it wasn't a bad thing, um, you know, for us as a developer that we, we simply let them out of the, the contract and we managed to resell that property for significantly higher than what mm. they bought it off the plan for, you know, 18 months, two years before. So, um, yeah, we were lucky that, that we matched the market. Like you can't be too aggressive on pricing when you launch. You, there's that saying, there's got to be enough meat on the bone for everyone at the end. Mm. And we're pretty, we're pretty com, um, committed to that. I'll, I'll say as well, like you, you said that saying last time and it stuck with me on a personal note, um, just the way, you know, I conduct my own business, the way I interact with John. And we've had frank conversations like, hey, John, like, you know, it has to be a win-win for everyone. It can't be just me yeah. screwing John or John screwing me. Mm. 
So it's got to be more than I this. agree. Yeah. Like so, because that speaks to longevity. And yeah, yeah I just want to thank you for that. Uh, I guess. Well, yeah. At the end of the day, the reason we've got repeat buyers, and that's the exciting thing, we're, we're launching this next one, and there's um, circa 185, and I think there's a 50 buyers already that said I'm going again, and and that that the reason we've done that is everyone wins. I my I get to make some money. They've got a great investment that they've now got equity that they can use to buy the next one, or they're going to sell that and continue to upgrade, get a little bit higher up the building. So. Everyone needs to win. It doesn't matter whether you're selling fish and chips or, or whatnot. You know, there's got to be a, a return on investment or some value. And, and I've, I've always believed we can't get every, you know, scrape every dollar out of the barrel. We've got to leave a little bit for everyone to, to win. So in a perfect world, what's the process like for somebody purchasing a property off the plan? Yep. Well, the first they got to find a developer like us, I would sell, you know. <laughs> um, I would suggest they need to do their research. And in, in we've all read the newspaper headlines about buildings cracking and, and whatnot, but if you're going to buy something that doesn't exist yet, first check the developer out and then ask who the builder is. And if those two have a track record and can point at buildings, walk you through them, tick. That's, that's my first thing, you know. Can I just um – Make a point to that. Um, someone reached out to me a few weeks ago. Uh, they've listened to the podcast. They said, look, I'm looking at this um, development on the Central Coast. Uh, what do you think of it? I said, well, have you Googled the uh, the developer? Yeah, I have, but I can't find it. I can't find them. So alarm bell number one, isn't yeah. it? If, if they haven't got a track record in Australia at least and ideally in the areas that you're uh, working with, then it's important, isn't it? Oh, without a doubt. And even beyond that, who's the architect and who's the consultants? Because, you know, I love our industry. We've got one of the, the best, the highly regulated industries in Australia, but there are people that cut corners. And for people that are buying their first off-the-plan investment – let, you know, you don't need to retire on it. I'm, I'm, I know you want to make money, but just pick pick something that, that is in a good area, good developer, good builder, who's their architect, and do a little bit of DD. And I know Pidge and all the properties he sold in his time does that really well. So that's what, like, you know, Scott Shaffron, who builds ours, has been building in Newcastle for over 30 years. He knows what's in the ground conditions and, and it just puts us in a really good position to deliver outstanding results for our clients. Mm, mm. So elephant in the room, mm-hmm. let's address that one with off the plan because a lot of people come to us and say, I wouldn't do it, never do it. All I've heard is the horror stories, the the building's cracking, but people not being able to get finance because for, for the listeners, we've you've got to commit to something before you get lending on it because it might be 18 months, two years. That's right. In, in advance. So um, I, I think it's really critical to outline that, well, it's not all doom and gloom and People do make really good money off it, but you've got to do your research just like you've outlined. That's right. And yeah, back on the process. So once you do your research, you would obviously uh, go through the sales process, get a really good conveyancer that understands off the plan contracts, checks your sunset date so that you know when you know I'm going to exchange on this date, it's going to be built or delivered by this estimated date, when's my sunset after that so I know you know my key dates. And then I, I think communication is a big, big um, part of what I do and we're really proud of that. You, you would have got to experience, we provide project management updates every 
few weeks or months, depending on what's happening at site. We we can take you for hard hat tills so you can go and experience this building coming out of the ground. So finding people that are going to deliver that experience um, and then by the end of it, hopefully an outstanding property that then starts renting or doing whatever it's supposed to do for you, that, that's the process you should follow. So just getting really practical, if there was a unit that was $500,000, you, you go through the sales process and go, yes, I want that one. You guys, your, your solicitors will send a contract over to your conveyancer. Yep. The conveyancer will read through that, iron out anything that needs to be clarified or whatnot, and then you will pay a 10% deposit. That's right. That goes into a trust account. That, yes. So it's not sitting in your little no, kitty. I don't touch that. I got a nice bit of interest over the years you did, on that. Uh, yeah. Um, and then- so that $500,000 property, mm-hmm. you've got to come up with $50,000 Yeah, and to, to start with. And on the interest, like I gave that 100% back to you. Mm. Some developers try and split that. And I'm right. like, well, that's your money. You're trusting me to build it. So I, I think you're entitled to 100% of it. But that's it. Essentially, your 10% sits in a trust account. I, My job is then to go and get enough 10% deposits and enough sales to then convince the bank to lend me the 60 or 100 million that I need to build it and then every the, the sort of the cogs start turning. And, you know, again, checking the developer out, have they done these projects before? In Newcastle, we, we are very successful at that launch and getting that debt cover and, and you'll, you've, um, I'm sure you've come to some of those events, but mm. we've got a lot of VIP clients, a lot of um, financial planners that have real estate um, arms or whatever that refer their, their buyers to us. And I'll get 100% debt cover before we borrow the money from the bank and I'll, I'll self-fund the, the, the groundwork so we won't use bank debt for that. And that just brings a, a robust system in and, and, and we'll follow that through for this one in Newcastle. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, but before we do the rest of the process, so we've signed, I've paid my 10% deposit Yep. and you say, okay, Glenn will be ready in 2024 June. Yes. For example. Now that means you let the builders build it and you get on with your life. There's no point even speaking to a mortgage broker at this time because they can't get pre-approval because this property doesn't exist yet. That's 100%, yep. Now, the sunset clause, and everyone might hear the word sunset, that basically means what? So a sunset for me and for the, the buyer is it's a, just a drop-dead date that I have to deliver the building by a date or you can just rescind. And get right? your 10% back. And you get your 10% back, you keep your interest and whatever. Um, if, and then if I pass that sunset date, I have to reach out to you and ask you to extend it again, all right? Um, and that those dates are really in place for my funding because things sometimes take a little bit longer than you'd like. And trust me, I don't like delays because when I'm drawing down tens of millions of dollars, I'm paying interest on it. So we're totally aligned with the buyer to finish by our estimated date. Yeah, because if there's someone who wants to finish the build more than the buyer, it's it, you. It's me, <laughs> 100%. Um, and, and look, I've... 
in Newcastle, we've got a good handle on things and, and things can take a little bit longer than we'd like, but those sunset dates are buffered mm. so that we can, we've got enough time in case there is an issue that slows us down, like lots of bad weather or, or whatever yeah. it may be. COVID even. Yeah, well, that COVID, wow. That, you know, we could only have a certain amount of people on site. Mm. Um, Scott and his team in Newcastle were outstanding on how we, we implemented a COVID safe plan very quickly. Mm. Um, Newcastle was lucky you didn't get caught up in the mandatory nah. shutdown in Sydney. I had two two sites, nearly half $500 million worth of real estate shut for two weeks. Yeah. And that, that cost us, you know, at one stage it was $70,000 a day wow. profit gone. Damn. You know. Now, I think that sunset clause is an interesting one because um, people – and it's the same with house and land when you're building a house, isn't it, where you say, well, the sunset clause is like 12 months uh, longer than what we think it should take to build. Well, th- it's not the builder's intent to water that 12 months out, is it? Like, not at all. Uh, as no. you've mentioned, Glenn, it's uh, get it done as soon as we can. But people freak out when they see that that date is so far in advance. Yeah. Yeah, and, and look, it is important for the listeners out there. The, the solicitors will advise you that you're under contract up until that end of that sunset date, but it really is because of the of the funding for me. I need to have a sunset so the bank's comfortable that the contracts are binding if there's a little bit of a delay. Now, three months out, for example, yep, you might let your uh, future homeowners or investors know that hey, we're looking good to, you know, get approval or I forget the word, um, finish it, that'll do. Um, yeah, no, occu- so, uh, o- yeah. <laughs> occupation. Occu- yeah, that's yeah. it, OC. OC, get the OC. Yeah. Um, and we're not talking about Orange County, although you should do a place there. Um, <laughs> at that point, I contacted my bank. That's right. And said, hey, well, my mortgage broker, because I'm pro mortgage broker here, hey, these guys are, you know, ready to go. Yep. Can we get the ball rolling? And then at that point- Yep. You know, they go, yep, pre-approval, and then they say, look, here's a conditional approval to say, yep, we will give you the mortgage once OC is has been received. That's correct, yeah. And then it kind of all works there. But I just want to say, Luke and John and everyone listening, not every financial strategy is for everyone. That's right. And a lot of people get their knickers in a knot around this off-the-plan stuff. It's like not everything is for everyone. So- the shoe's got to fit and, you know, an off the plan might be a good scenario uh, for me as an investor because, yeah, I'm confident I can settle that in three years' time and it's not impacting my life. Yep. Or it could be in three years' time, I would love to live there. So, I've got a bit of time. So, I just want to say loud and clear, it's okay if you're enraged with all this off the plan stuff. It's not for everyone. For sure. And I agree. You know, the Square pegs in round holes, it's an old country saying. And, um, you know, I I believe that one of the safest investment vehicles is bricks and mortar Mm. because, let's face it, the land that they're building on these things on, we've stopped making it and uh, it's very difficult to get stuff approved. But, um, yeah, everyone's got to run their own race and and just, you know, start at a a level that they're comfortable with and and that's part of their plan. And I think if you're sitting there listening, contemplating either way, that the first question I would ask myself is, is my employment pretty secure over the next two to three years? That's right. Because that's that's the biggest uh, hurdle, isn't it, is to say, well, when, when the development's completed, if I can't get lending, 
I'm uh, out to water without a paddle. Yeah. And, you know, my job, obviously, to build these beautiful apartments or houses, townhouses or whatever we're doing with you is I'm going to build that to the best ability that I can. And then three months out, when, when it's time to start talking to your broker, I'm going to send you emails. I'm going to then provide you with a valuation pack that's for you to provide to your bank or your 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 funding partner that gives great comparables, background on the development, what's the level of finish, everything to make their job easier for this thing to val up. And a lot of people don't do that, but we, we put a lot of effort into that. Um, and it's then just helping people on the journey so that when it, it's not stressful and, and, you know, if it's your first property, you've, 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 you've teamed up with someone that can help you navigate that. Mm. John, do you want to read that question from Richard Richard? Uh, and we may have touched on this, but we'll just quickly get through some of these because I think they're, they're great questions and, yeah, we'll go from there. Cool. So. Richard says, assuming the off-the-plan is purchased one to two years before it's completed, you could be settling during a pandemic, panic sell or super tightened lending criteria, anything that causes excess supply, which would likely which would likely to land you at shortfalling, as in lender value at much less purchase price and needing to cover the residual cost or let go your deposit. Or you could be settling during extreme demand, which would likely make you instant equity. Is this a correct general understanding? Yeah, look, that's two sides of the coin. Mm. The only thing I'd caveat that is that we did settle people during a pandemic yeah. and they made 15%. So mm. it's it's funny and I think pandemic or not, you would have made 15% during the delivery of that project or thereabouts 10 mm. to 15. I don't know, maybe some did really well. I, I think I did better. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Good selection, Glenn. Thanks, John. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, and and I think that comes back like it's correct. You're right, two sides of the coin. But it, again, it does come back when we look at valuation, we look at comparables, we look at inferior products. All that comes back to who's a developer, what's the design, what's the quality like, uh, because it, ultimately that's what's going to stand up in in any time. That's right. And a bank, imagine. They've got a job to do. They've got to protect their money. They're not going to want to put $1 more in than they have to when they're lending you the money. They will want more hooks into you and security. Mm. Um, that I think that, you know, the instant equity, that's a great outcome. I would love to think I can do that on every project. It may not. It might just val up for what you bought it for, but that's still a great outcome because that's what you paid. I think before you even get to this what-if scenario, it does go back to strategy and can you have some options in three years' time if the shoe doesn't quite fit how you expected? Because, you know, with John, my property, I was kind of glad that it did get extended 12 months mm-hmm. because when I bought the place off the plan, I had a financial planning business, I had an income and all that stuff. Then I decided, oh, I'll give this podcasting a shake, sold the business, oh, I don't have an income. Yeah. And it... it you know, I would have had to put more money into it or sold it on completion or, I don't know, given it to John. I don't know. So it just comes back to whatever your financial strategy is, have you got options if you need to pivot? That Yeah, 100%. Like I get to the end and, you know, every now and then someone rings up and goes, I can't settle. And then you, you go, oh, okay, I'll understand things change, but why? And it's, I just don't want it anymore. And, and I'll, I'd be sitting there going, well, I've sort of done my bit, you know, I, I, I promised to build the property. You 
promised to pay the 10%. I'm sorry, but it's you've got to settle. That's what we've, we've both contracted to do. But, you know, I've, I've had cockies, you know, it's near and dear to my heart that um, the one before Stella was eaten, it was the one of the worst droughts, if you remember, at the back of the pandemic, and he got wiped out. And I took a position on that, that I let him out of the contract. And it took me a little bit longer to sell that, but I ended up getting the same money that what it is. So, you a know. Cocky's a farmer. Farmer. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> just wanted to. I uh, just want to clear that up. <laughs> We've we got to be PC around here. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it, and look, it's just eyes wide open. When people sign a contract to buy something off the plan, they are contracted to, to settle. And, but I, I will try and work with people if they can't settle for given reasons, we can look at other options to help you settle. Mm. Um, the last thing I want to do is take your deposit. Which in, in my 20-plus years of real estate is quite rare. Yeah. yeah. And you know that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, there's a lot of – and this is what gives the bad headlines is because people have lost their deposit because they couldn't get finance that was potentially out of their control. Mm. You're right. They did sign a contract. Um, but you're not obligated to give their deposit back either. No, no. Look, it's the risk is you buy it and then you can't settle. You lose your deposit and then I have to sell it for for less. Mm. You, you're on the hook. You're gonna you could be exposed for the shortfall um, based on New South Wales legislation. So uh, you know you need to do your DD and be comfortable mm. on that risk profile. So yeah, are you telling me that? There are risks in life and there are more risks to some things than others. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I think that uh, <laughs> like anything in life, you know, you you just got to do your research and if circumstances change, you, you need to you know, navigate those. I just want to camp here for one second, randomly on the fly. Let's all think of a way that we can learn to adjust our risk tolerance. And for me, I'm thinking, number one, education. You learn about something that will help reduce any perceived risk. Number two, it might be, well, I'm going to be a property investor, but my first property might not be off the plan because it wasn't mine. Yeah. Yeah. John, can you think of any other ways to help adjust a risk profile with investing? The first one, as you mentioned, is definitely education. Like that mm. builds confidence to the point where you know the pros and cons of every decision you're about to make. Uh, does that eliminate the risk altogether? Absolutely not. But it, it, I think when you start outsourcing things, that's when you get surprises. Well, you've got to take it in-house and, and really spend the time. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I would always um, reach out to – your centres of influence. So they could be someone that's done it before. As an example, who's bought a property property off the plan successfully and they've had their good and bad experiences, you should be leveraging off those and learn them. Don't go to Uncle Peter because he's an old real estate professional. You know, that that's uh, one of the, the jokes that we had is that someone's about to buy, but because they've got a family friend that's a property expert, mm-hmm. um, just go and, and see people that are unbiased, that can nav- help you navigate your own journey and get the best advice possible. I think on that though, Racer, they're also too close to the emotional um, decision-making, aren't they? When they're the uncle or the brother or the mother, it's they're thinking more about the emotion than they are the logic. That's right, yeah, and, and do the numbers. The numbers don't lie in real estate. That's one thing 
You know what it's going to rent for. You know what it's going to cost in your strata fees and 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 operating costs of the, of that. So, if you, if you can afford to carry the property for some vacancy a couple of weeks a year, and mm-hmm. it's going to generate X Y Z income, th- they don't lie. So Laura Honey says, what's the best way to keep track of upcoming developments, e.g. property developer newsletters slash mailing lists? Also, what are the signs of a good quality developer? I think we've spoken about the last point, but Racer, what about the first part? Um, about the upcoming developments? Yeah. So I, I subscribe to your newsletter. Yes. So I get updates. Yep. Uh, hopefully they're cutting edge and I'm the first to receive it. But uh, <laughs> if, if you're new to it out there, what would you do? Yeah, look, there's a, there's a few different uh, property portals. Um, obviously, if you're looking and you're hunting around a certain area for real estate, I know the big portals domain and REA have a really um, a great way to um, map out area uh, or geo area areas for you to target. Um, there's a platform called apartmentdevelopments.com and they specialise in apartments. Uh, they've got regular newsletters about what's launching and, and where they're launching and, and they do industry insights and I, I, I would definitely recommend for people to check that out. Um, there's other industry-specific you know, uh, platforms like CoreLogic and, and, and whatnot, you can log in and, and get DA updates. So depending on what level you want to get into. But yeah, I would encourage Laura and anyone out there is A, join their mailing list. So mine as a developer, giving you updates so you're comfortable with who I am and what I'm doing and then try and get onto those industry portals. Um, Lee made a comment, Lee Andrew, seems like an unnecessary risk to me. I guess to me, it goes back to not every strategy is for everyone Mm. and the shoe could fit. It fit for me. It fit for other investors. It fit for other home buyers. So, you know, it's everything doesn't have to be for everyone. Mm. Uh, There's a comment here from Luciana Chen and then what we'll do, we'll have a quick break, get a glass of water and come back and um, finish up with a special announcement. Um, Is it legit? There were so many companies taking advantage of the sunset clause a few years back and double sold the same unit. Are there new laws in place to stop that from happening? And then I'll just follow on to Sarah Perry because it will probably be answered in the same sentence. Are there any plans to better regulate the industry and encourage better practices across the board to make off the plan buying safer for potential residents and investors? For example, the issues with certification of buildings leading to unresolved defects and expensive future problems. Now, there is, since we start, since we talked last, the new commissioner. Yes. So can you tell us the role of the commissioner, what they're doing, and is it a national New South Wales commissioner? It's a no, New South Wales. Okay. Yep. 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 Um, look, the, I think that's a that, from my point of view, is a great thing, you know, because uh, – there's only one, you know, bad apple spoils a barrel, so to speak. And you, you think about what we do and, and other developers, they get caught up in the negative news cycle about buildings that are cracking or whatever it may be. So to have to have that process in place that makes us all accountable is fantastic. Um, look, in terms of what I need to do, there, there is reform coming from for the builders to do a whole uh, range of lodging documentation into a portal very early before we can go and get titles. Um, so that 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 just allows the commissioner and and that the department to 
make sure that we've done all our certifications correctly. Um, and it's another step in the process to ensure that we've got best practice, that everything that we need to to lodge our titles is there and it's been reviewed by the commissioner to be approved. So the, the, the part about the uh, the the defects and the cracks in the walls and everything else. Do you find that that's regulated differently according to state, or is it a national body that oversees that? Look, every state I think's got their own policy. I I only, I only build in New South Wales, so I can only talk about and London and London. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the defect resolution process. We've got a period with our builder, a contractual period that allows them to resolve defects and. Um, we we try, particularly in Newcastle, we, we have our own pod factory that, where we go and manufacture our bathrooms and laundries and wet areas, and I call that the triple triple um, defect process. So we build them off-site, get them absolutely plumbed, so all the four lines is laser-leveled. We then build it, tile it, put all the glazing in, and then lock that door, and it's defected in the pod factory. They then get shipped to site and laser leveled into in situ where it needs to go within the building and then the walls are built around and it gets plumbed in and then it gets defected there and then it gets defected at your building inspection. So Yeah, can I make a comment on that, the commissioner and I guess what you're doing, and I'll have to take John up to showing one of the units on LinkedIn. I follow the commissioner on LinkedIn just for my own curiosity. Now they're not only looking at structural things like, is there a big crack down the side of the building? This commissioner walked into a, a construction in Sydney, got his credit card out and was tapping the tiles in the bathrooms. And he was saying what they're doing, they're doing little dots of glue on the tiles. So they're not a quality tiling job, basically, mm-hmm. where a proper tiling job, you'd probably just smother it all, stick the tiles. Yep. yep. So contrast that to you guys building pods off-site. Mm. And I haven't actually said to this even before the recording for everyone, but it's a bloody schmick finish, that Stella building. Yeah. Like, no, I honestly, I like, very shut proud. up, Luke. They're really good. And <laughs> when I, I can't, I, no, shut up. I'm, I honestly can't believe, like even the LED lights in the bathroom yeah. and kitchen, like just the small touches, I can't believe the quality in a unit. Yeah, well, we, we're very proud of our product and I know the, the men and women that work in Newcastle for Scott are all locals mm. and, in fact, a lot of them buy that product. So, um, you know, the, the, the product they're building. So having it off-site it in, improves efficiencies for us as a developer, so all the waste and all the, the noise and we've got an environment just for that area to get it perfect. All the kitchens are uh, produced by a, a massive local enterprise that does their own defecting and they get sent as, as casks and then, you know, are built into our apartment. So we, we've got the pieces of the puzzle set and that level of finish is only going to get better as we get better as a developer. Do you see that's cutting edge for your uh, industry or a lot doing that with the pods? Yeah, they they work. All the big boys do them, like all the the major uh, developers that build hundreds of apartments outsource the creation of their wet areas, their bathrooms. Um, 
we do it on site. Like I, I think the next development will be a mix of of pods and built in situ. Um, it's just best practice to to ensure that there's a process in place for us to create them and just manage the the dust and the and the defecting so that they're perfect when it comes time to, for your independent building in, inspector to go around and yep tick it all off and. We're, we're even following settlement, we've got that period with the builder to resolve it. We've got an online platform where the tenant or the resident can then log defects, take a photo, put in a note. So robust because we get it, you know, when you buy a new car and you drive out on the driveway, you don't want to be looking at a big ding in your bonnet, mm. right? And, it's, and I've got the same, that's my analogy for an apartment. When you buy a new apartment, you don't want to come home and see a scuff or something in the floor or the kitchen cupboard isn't right or whatever it is. It's got to be as perfect as you can. Not to say we nail it every time, but we've got a, a process to get it perfect. So when people um, do their pre-settlement inspection... Like the one, and I, I've only got experience from buying through you. I was amazed that I had a third eye rep there. Yep. And also the builder. Yes. And they were going through the, and the builder was picking up stuff that, and because uh, it's counterintuitive, because a lot of people think, and it's annoying, the default is they want to do as little as possible and get out, get out of here without having to do the bare minimum. But, it was a quality build to start with, so there wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything majorly dodgy. But um, who was the builder? Scott, maybe? Yeah. Oh, James. James, his son. Yes, yeah. it was James. Yeah. And your mate, the surfy, the builder. Um, which there's a few of those oh, blokes at his name. It wasn't cash. <laughs> They're all it wasn't surfing, cash. Yeah. It was. Um, well, look. At- either way, it, to have two stakeholders doing the settlement inspection yep. gave me comfort mm. that they actually cared about the product. You bet. And it's not even... And they were picking up crap that I didn't even notice. Yeah. No, I'm really... It's great feedback to hear that. And it does show to have James, who is a... You know, he's the owner of that business to be mm. walking. And he, he literally did 150-odd inspections. Mm. Um, and he had his he, he had his app. We had ours. We had the client. And we've picked up every little nuance that isn't right so that we don't have to deal with the unhappy clients. Because it, it, it has, in the past, I've had builders that are very challenged. They, they've moved on, their, their subbies have moved on to try and get defects resolved. But in Newcastle, because we're using a builder that's built with the same subbies for 30 years, everyone's aligned because they want the next one. They want they want to be involved in our next build and that that's important. So what I'm saying is this is just an example. Like if you live in Perth and you want to buy a, a unit to live in, well, you're going to have to do your own research to make sure you've got a company that's not their first rodeo and you've got some testimony. So this is just my experience mm-hmm. with buying off the plan and it has been really good. So I guess what I wanted to say is everybody out there, not every purchase is a horror story and the horror stories probably make a small percentage of the drama that we see. Yeah, they're the ones that gets picked up by media and the noise and you feel for people that have been 
let down and they've put their life savings in a deposit and then the pro- project that they've delivered is significantly different, you know. Like mm. there's there's a whole range of things in place in your contract to protect you. It's about the minimum size. That was a massive thing that's changed. It used to be within 5% of the size, if I went greater, then you could rescind, right, which is fine. But if I went 4% and you're paying 10 grand a square metre, that's $40,000 worth of value eliminated. So now I need actually reach out to you, this is all part of the changes, reach out to you and say, hey, because of the construction we've identified that we need to move a wall slightly and or a pillar or whatever, you're going to lose a bit of space. What I want to propose is I'm going to update your contract to reflect that. If you're unhappy with it, you can rescind. If not, let's just, you know, do it properly. And and that's the sort of stuff that we're doing. I actually, and we will um, we will wrap it up soon, but just so everyone knows, full disclosure, when I purchased through you, mm-hmm. the actual unit I got was slightly different and that was around that change. So one of the side balconies had to be smaller. That's right, your council made us, yeah. Yeah, so one of the, I think they approached my solicitor and they said, hey, they've they've had to make the balcony smaller, but they've given you a bigger laundry That's slash right. storage cabinet area. It was, it was actually worked out better. That was the, the yeah. short answer. Um, but quite often we do that, like... Um, with the plans, you've, you imagine you've, you've got a set of plans and as you build them, things shift and move and, and whatnot. And um, with I remember that there was a stack of apartments that the council decided that the, the balustrade had to be moved and that impacted the outdoor. So we didn't want to lose that GFA. So we then What's put the, GFA, the, the ground floor area that yep. we're allowed to build on. Sure. Um, and then we put that back in and you got a better outcome internally which is what base your values on anyway. But, mm. um, yeah, there's, uh, my a good solicitor will protect their client when these things change and there is more more structure now with the, the delivery that protects buyers and me as a developer. It's a bit clearer. Yeah, it's fairer. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Luke's got a special offer just for M3 listeners. So we'll be right back after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Luke, before you uh, tell us an offer for our listeners, can I ask one hard question? Far away. So, when I in the Facebook group said, in Canberra, stories of vendors rescinding contracts to place finished properties on the market at up to $200,000 above the previous sale prices were all over the news. How common is this practice and what can buyers do to protect themselves? So, basically, if somebody doesn't understand that lingo, um, I signed the contract the sunset clause, the builder stretches out the sunset clause mm-hmm. to say, oh, we're, we've still got to fix it. We've still got to fix it. They know the building's gone up more. So then say, oh, sorry, it's past the sunset date. We can't sell it to you. Sorry, we we stuffed up. Here's your 10% deposit back. Piss yeah. off. Yep, yep. And then they can just resell it and make 200 grand on each unit more. Yeah. So in your experience, are you seeing this, particularly in New South Wales, because you can't speak for other states? Mm-hmm. 
Like, what's your view on well, this? Well, look, I've heard of it happening before. You know, when Sydney had that mad run from 2013 to 2017, it sort of the tap turned off around 2015. A lot of wealth was created off the plan. Um, now, from my point of view, it's madness. Like, that would be, you know, to use a, a horrible word, but that's suicidal for a business, mm. you know. Um, how are they going to build legacy or, or rapport with a client base when they're known to, to – to stretch out clients and, and rescind that. I've never done it. In 17 years, I've made my clients lots of money. I think we talked about you and, you know, over 15, 20%. Mm. That's your money. You you went at risk and I, I don't want to drag out beyond sunset because if I weigh it up, the interest I'm paying on the delay um, is going to far outweigh the, the profit and but the damage. But if you screwed me... I got a big mouth, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, that's so short-sighted for whoever yeah. did that. And the problem with those companies that did that way back then is they just shut down and start up as something different. That's like, right. That's the annoying thing about it, which uh, is is a fair fear. But I think again, coming back to who are you who are you uh, in in bed with and uh, what's their history? That's it. So tell us about Newcastle, and I know this is an episode that's featured you guys and. We've just had you on as a friend and, you know, there's no money exchange, like you're not paying us to be on this podcast. Yep. But probably should. We probably should have charged you. <laughs> um, what are you doing in Newcastle? And tell us a little bit about the NDIS. For sure. As well. So I don't know which way you want yeah, to go. Yeah, well, well, look, I, let's start the, the exciting project we're about to launch. We're launching on the 2nd of December. So before Christmas this year. Um, is Dairy Farmers Towers. And when I, I started the West End, and it's it's crazy for, for me to be able to say this, you know, I started my career buying and selling other people's real estate and here I am creating a, a, a set of towers. One's 100 metres, the other one's 85, and it's the cornerstone of the West End precinct, which Bob, Ron and I and, and Scott um, created you know, five, six years ago now. And the W was the West Apartments, the 120 we, we delivered a few years ago, and then Eaton and Stella, that, so that's the WES, and, and, and the T was always going to be some towers in the West End, and we managed to secure this site. It's an old car park that's within the West End precinct right near the transport interchange that's got demanding views looking back at the harbour and the beaches and, and district. And we're building um, 185 apartments, one, two, and three bedroom uh, apartments. We're also learning from COVID. I don't believe that apartment should be compromised with a study nook. So we've decided to build collaborative workspaces within the third space. Mm. So you're not going to compromise 10 to 20 square metres of your, your living environment to have a desk. You can go downstairs and there'll be a, a hot desk membership-driven thing within our development um, that you can use. So for that whole work-from-home movement, Newcastle, let's face it, one of the best areas right on the beach. You've got the Hunter Valley with the wines. Um, With that flexibility coming from from work-from-home, we can see a lot of people might want to stick their big toe in the water and move to Newcastle and work from home one or two days a week and we're going to build them a beautiful apartment with outstanding views right on the transport link, you know, two hours um, or less to the the city on the train, mm. and you can have a little work from home environment within your community. Um, so we're pretty pumped up about that, and that's launching. And yeah, we'd love to, um, uh, you know, let the my millennial money folks out there 
no, we've got some amazing investor stock and yeah, I'm working on a little offer that can help investors get in, you know, with a little bit of a, a smaller deposit. All right, do tell. So there's this thing that I've found. I'm, I'm actually really excited about it and it's called Coposit. Mm. Now, Coposit is to help a person that wants to get into property that might not have the 10% deposit. Um, there's some challenges with it is that the, the sales that use it isn't qualifying pre-sale and it's all due respect to the buyers. I'm sure you know some people that can afford a 10% deposit may only want to do a co-posit because it's like it's it's $10,000 to exchange and co-posit the rest as it's getting delivered. So for the two years that it's under construction, you enter into a payment agreement with co-posit and it gets paid into a, a trust account up to um, the 10%. And the agreement is that you've got to have your 10% paid within three months of OC, which is pretty fair. It's good cool. for me. And what I've- So you could settle on the property and still pay you the deposit. Still owe your money. Still owe your money. So you don't, well, it's off the plan. Yes. So you exchange with $10,000. Yes. And then you co-posit. Yep. Small monthly increments, yep. all the way up to OC, which is ten percent. Yep. Then you go to your broker, yep. get your normal finance with a ten percent deposit, and then you settle with me. Yes. Okay. So then five hundred k example. Yep. You put down your ten. You owe your forty. You've got two years, whatever that may be, to pay your forty in in monthly instalments. Yep. Uh, interest. Yeah. You don't no interest. No interest. It's free to the consumer. I actually pay. Um, the co-posit team to manage the payments. You know, you, you're still under contract to buy the property at 10% deposit. So you, you you have to, if you default during that two-year period, you like any contract, you're at least risk of losing the deposit. And then if I have to go and resell it for less, then, then you, you, it's the same as a traditional contract. So legitimate risks, but if someone is wanting to buy an investment property or move to Newcastle mm-hmm. and live in it. Yes. Um, they could put up ten grand now, for example. That's right. They've got a stable job, but you know, it's expensive out there. Yep. And they could just cash flow that balance of the deposit. Yes. Up to whatever it is. If it's a fifty thousand dollar deposit, that forty grand over the two That's years. That's right. And it's really interesting. They actually believe they can demonstrate to a bank when it comes time to settle servicing. Mm. which is good for any first-time investor out there or, or home buyer, is that they can, they, they'll get given a report at the time of their, their deposit that demonstrates that they've paid $10,000, they've exchanged, and then they've made these monthly payments up until when I'm calling for settlement. And the banks are just getting comfortable with it. And what I'm doing is I've, I've earmarked you know, 10 to 20 fantastic investor-grade properties for the 3M buyers and co-posit to team up with and, and, and trial it because I can sell 150 10% deposits mm. to people that want to, you know, um, that, that have the 10% mm. ready to go. And just for the Newcastle investment? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Not, not the London one. No. So um, can you tell the listeners what prices will start at? Yeah, so you, your one-bedroom apartments will be around $525,000 up to, depending on what level and elevation and, and size, but we, we'll, we'll range from sort of that five twenty-five up to seven ninety-five. I think there's some beautiful, outstanding one-bedders very high. And then your two-bedders will start 
six ninety five. You know, which we're really trying to. Um, we prices are just getting set, but it's around that um, six hundred ninety five up to a million dollars. You know, and, and it's amazing to think Newcastle's at the market, but with you know twenty seven story. Um, buildings and outstanding amenity. I think we're we're uh, really affordable. And then your three betters are just out these floor plates that I've got. I'm, I'm thinking they're more suitable for downsizers, mm. uh, but they're going to be priced, uh, you know, around one and a half to two million dollars. And and they're beautiful, large open plan, how, outstanding. How many square meters is your one betters generally? They're going to be between fifty and sixty. Um, Square meters. What's the issue with one betters and yeah, size? So, Talk so to me about that. So we've spoken about that in the past, and and race is well aware, and that's why he starts them at fifty square. Is yeah. is the banks don't generally val well on anything under, under 50, fifty square. So why did they build them? Oh, look, there's there's different controls within council. You know, the, the studios you'd call them. Mm. Um, and the I, look, I don't see the value in them because they're very difficult. They're expensive to build, mm. and and they don't get great uh, fun, funding support. So, I, I think that people are just maybe trying to jam boxes into their yeah. schemes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it doesn't make sense to us. That's for sure. Well, we'll put a, a link in the show notes um, if someone wants to get in touch with your team, yeah. Racer, uh, yeah. and if they do want to uh, buy a property. Yeah, the the important thing is that special offer um, will go out in the new year to the public. So your your guys are getting it first. I'm assuming this will get. Um, yeah, it will go up in um, well end of October, start of November. We'll just have on our website a uh, My Millennial Money drop down. So when you register, make sure you you tick for that because we're not talking about this publicly in the local media until after the oh, new year. Oh, but your team will know that it's one of those well, deals. It's one yep. of yours. Yeah. All right. You bet. So there you go. Uh, and I, to be honest, I pro- you're probably the only property developer evil scum that I'll have on this podcast <laughs> uh, uh, because I've had personal experience and it's not rubbish. Yep. So I'm comfortable talking about it and it's not a financial product, so all that stuff. So if again, if the shoe fits, it might fit for you. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Like... We've spent a lifetime in, in a professional sense building this business up and, you know, I remember being in in little um, seminars with Pidge, yeah, you know, over 10 years ago when he was we were educating people about Newcastle and, and the macro drivers and, you know, I'm passionate about what we're creating there and all I can guarantee if anyone's interested in sticking their big toe in the water and, and bricks and mortar is something they'd like to experience, Newcastle is set to explode off the back of COVID and we've got the great property for them to consider. I've got a proposition. Yep. You need to do something in the building where people can buy car spots and okay. I can rent them because I would buy a car spot as an investment. Yeah, it's funny. Car, the Cause car spots. There's, that was probably the only thing with Stella. Not enough visitor parks. Yeah, it's you know we did the research and we did that partnership with Go Get. That's right. Yeah, right to try and help with the visitor parks. People abuse them. Really? Right. And if um, we actually dedicated instead of having visitors, we dedicated them to a car sharing scheme. Um, 60% of our buyers are downsizers and when they downsize, they usually have two cars mm. and they sell two shitty cars and buy right. one good one right. and then they can use the go-get as the secondary vehicle. Um, but I agree, the, the beauty about this scheme, because we've got a 1,000 square metres of commercial, 
Mm. At night time, we're getting some tech involved that, that the commercial parks that we have to provide yeah. for the our DA will be able to be flipped and turn into visitors right. during mm. the After evening. Hours. Yeah, okay. So we, we are exploring ways to, to uh, lessen the impact um, but it, it parking, it's a difficult thing to navigate, I, I can mean, tell you. like there is just not much parking at the West End. That's my only – and I know you've – yeah, that's just my own personal observations. And the, the one thing that's coming though is there's um, Doma is building a massive Across car the road. park. Oh, yes. yeah. And then even in our development, we're building a car park. So I think the West End in the future, mm. um, you might, you know, definitely – most of the apartments will get a park in our scheme, mm. um, but there's going to be plenty of stacked parking within that precinct, which is important as that CBD evolves. Because even on the Stella online portal, like when I log in, there's so many messages. Oh, does, can I lease a car park? Can I lease a car park? And there's no spares. Mm. And I would totally buy one as an investment. Yeah. Like, yeah, because it's, it's just property. And we would love to build more, but we're not allowed not to. Allowed. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's an amazing offer, Racer. Appreciate that. We didn't even know it was coming, yeah. Glenn. No. That's how hot off the press that it's been. But mm. uh, sorry for being critical on the car park thing. But <laughs> no, no. Look, it's it's noted. It's noted. Maybe if there's a job going, yeah, just uh, there's your guy. But uh, and look, I feel bad. <laughs> as a as a property coach, mm. um, I I don't endorse any particular asset type, and that's my bread and butter or uniqueness, whatever you want to call it. But, um, yeah, if anyone wants any information or, or talk about their situation as to see whether this fits them or not, happy to, happy mm. to have a chat. Fantastic. All right, Racer, thank you so much. We'll uh, see you again on the podcast and thanks, Peach, for hanging around. Uh, Pleasure. It's great. Oh, I can't wait to come back. Thanks, everyone, for right. listening. Okay, bye. 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 We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. All right, everyone, we're back for a bit of an after party. We actually forgot to talk about one thing, and that was what Third Eye and Race are you doing with the NDIS housing. So this is really important. And I'm glad we are actually doing it towards the end because the people who care about apartments and building will actually find this valuable. You bet. So give us a rundown. What's happening? Well, look, what we we were very lucky – um, 2010, I think it was, uh, we, we did the, the Bell Apartments in Lake Macquarie, near Newcastle, 120-odd apartments, and we inherited this deal and there was 10 properties there that were getting created for someone called the Summer Foundation. We had no idea what it was, right? But there was like each of these apartments 
over $150,000 extra with all this um, home automation and, and um, you know, assisted living. And we, we started learning about it more and more. And the um, those 10 apartments were built for young men and women with a disability. And it was part of a national trial for the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. So unbeknownst to us, we had to build these things and learn how to build them. Um, but the most powerful powerful thing, I'll, I'll never forget it, is a young guy at the time of settlement came in and got the was moving into the property and was really emotional. He had, he had broken his neck in a motorbike accident. And I was um, sort of uh, – Luke Mahaffey, our architect and design manager, was there and I was thinking, shit, we've, we've stuffed it up. We've got it wrong. Like what's he upset for? But he was actually overwhelmed about him getting his independence back. Mm. And he was living at that stage. He said, I was either going to be in a nursing home for the rest of my life and watch the people around me pass away because they're all old and ageing or I was going to become a burden on my mum and dad and what you've given me is I've got my own place. Like through voice activation, um, he can open doors, he can live independently. Yeah, wow. mm. Powerful stuff. And that then forces down a path of creating the NDIS. And I'm really proud to say that in Newcastle, we've already built and delivered 24 NDIS. We've proven that this type of housing can be built within medium and large scale schemes because that was the trial and that those members of our community that are often forced to the, the city edge and the peripheral away because it's more affordable now actually have purpose-built properties in the CBD, on transport links, and they're great additions to the, the building community and, and we're making a big positive change. And there's just not enough of this type of housing getting created. I think the numbers are around 6,000 young men and women are living in accommodation that isn't designed for their ability. Mm. And, I, I, you know, we're, we're on a mission. We're going to try and um, we've set ourselves a target to build 150 along the east coast of Australia by the uh, 2025 and we've got 24 finished. I've got a building in Tweedheads, Coss, Port, and now the Central Coast, we're building homes. And yeah, it's a it's a complicated asset class, um, creating properties for the NDIS, but shit, it's a rewarding one. Awesome. So I, I actually went in one of the units uh, when I was doing my inspection. Um, I went down and went in and it's just, yeah, it's all custom, accessible height, all automatic doors. Like it's actually, you know, if I had a disability and had a unit that had a lower kitchen, lower oven, lower, like mm. it's yeah, just China. quite an amazing thing to see. Mm. And the fact that you're doing it is just amazing. And, and to the same standard that an able-bodied person's yeah. apartment is. And that's what I love is that we've really worked out that um, whilst there is some limitations to a bench top that n- needs to elevate up and down so people can use it with a wheelchair or the ovens need to be at a certain mm. level, to uh, able them and the door needs to open a certain way and they're all learnings that we've got for the, you know, because mm. we delivered a few. But there's a, a guy called Nick that lives in Eton in Newcastle and we've heard he was from Singleton or, or out that way, um, again, living in a wheelchair, couldn't find anything for his wheelie to get, get going as he refers to himself as a wheelie and um, he now cooks in, in his apartment in Eton and drops off scones and stuff mm. for the people on his floor. And I think, you know, 
it's changed his life, it's changed mine, it's changed my whole team. We've got a division called in situ housing that we've set up dedicated to building this type of housing. And yeah, we, we're really going to challenge how the people, you know, the world thinks about incorporating this. So I couldn't imagine the amount of headaches you had when you first started designing this to because it's very different from what you, your cookie cut, cut a product is. Um, but uh, do you think you've refined it to the point now where, as you say, you can go and push out 150 mm. okay? And, and what's been your biggest challenge in that? Yeah, I, it's, a, it's an interesting one because you've, you've got people living with a disability, with able-bodied you know, individuals, so things like the lift that needs to be able to, the buttons need to be mm. at a certain height. I'm not going to say we've nailed it. We're, we're still getting better. And I think, and I'm, you know me long enough, I actually think we're just going to keep getting better mm. anyway. We're going to continually challenge ourselves to be, create better product. doesn't matter how good we get. Question, would you or have you gone back to some of the tenants after they'd been there a year and said, hey, what's good and what's not? Yeah, our, our learnings for the NDIS, yeah, yeah 100%. We learnt what sort of... Like we put a Bose system in and it's really good, but we, we changed up our, our technology that we're using um, for the next participants, uh, you know, because that that evolved so quickly that, that we're, we're looking at the best um, elements there. The layouts, I think we've nailed our layout for apartment living because you've, you've got, you know, doors need to be a certain width yeah. into the bathroom, how to get in the bedroom. You've got to plan to have hoists mm. so that the carers of these participants mm. can help lift them up and put them into bed and, and so forth. So, so all that. in terms of the property itself, who owns it? Is it a private investor? Do you guys still hold some? Yeah. What's the go? And maybe John can answer this as well in terms of investing. Yeah, well, I, I, we've, Bob Ron and I own all of ours. In uh, that's, we've got these legacy box that we've, we've, we've got in the creation of Third Eye, and, and one of that is that we want to create a legacy of of projects, and 150 is our number, and we we want to build that um, portfolio property up, and we may partner with a super fund. There's a lot of social responsibility for banks and super funds to own assets like this, so we believe we're going to do all the hard, complicated, messy stuff and get people get the properties built and the people in them, and then we may look at partnering with an institutional partner to own that asset um, mm. class in the future. Um, so yeah, reaching out, we always checking with clients what we can do better, what services, and a big important thing is a rumor is a used to be house with no steps is our one of our providers. We work with a number of SEALs, a specialist independent living advisor, um, and they help us qualify the participants to then move in. In terms of your question about investment, yeah, I think we may uh, open up the uh, apartments for investors um, to look at. It's complicated that, you know, a circumstances of a tenant could change instantly mm. and you need to be in a position whilst the income, the NDIS is underwritten by the government and the the rents are higher than the market rents, the risk is say that person's circumstances deteriorate and they can't live independently, they need to move out, then they can leave that property within a day and then it's yeah. vacant, yeah. all right? Yeah. So it's not for everyone. Again, we talk about that on the podcast, investment, eyes wide open, I'm willing to take that risk because I think I've got a responsibility to create this housing it, and I'm it, big enough to do it. And I would actually applaud you as a just – a person that, you know, because you could, you know, substitute those 150 units with normal ones, sell them and make heaps of money. Yeah. Like you, 
So from a social impact point of view, I think it's really good. And a lot of people- appreciate that. Because I'm more about, you know, it's not about the money. Like it's got to be more than the money. And when I left my first job here at North Sydney, my boss said to me before I left, when I was starting my business, he said two things, Glenn. He said, one, look after people. And two, don't chase the dollars. Yeah, it's a good. I've never. I've all look. I work hard, and I want to earn some money to do. You know, make sure that my family's looked after, and um, I can send my kids to the best schools and all that sort of stuff. Like I've I've got my list mm. right. Um, but yeah, I think if I'm I'm the guy that's building them. If I'm not challenging myself to build a better product, so that the the spaces that we exist in are better than when I started then I, I shouldn't be in, in real estate. And that's something that I'm quite passionate about, that my job is to, to continually challenge myself and my team to think outside the square. And, and you know, for, even for our NDIS network, imagine, and, and this is, it's coming to fruition, we've got U-Homes in situ, U-Homes, and then we've got a concept called U-Holidays. Imagine how hard it is when mm. you've got a family member with a disability to have a holiday. But we we build ten apartments, and then we have a carers unit within those ten apartments, and then the ten families share the cost of that that carer. So my my vision for in situ and our new homes and new holidays is that those apartments from Tweed, Port, Coss, Newcastle, Central Coast, we're going to dedicate one or two apartments to have as a short term holiday rental, so families can go travel. They can use the Yaruma, um care to help uh, with their assisted living, and um, we're going to build a, a network for people with a disability to go on a holiday. Like I, I like going to Coss Harbour for a holiday. Mm, very nice. It's so difficult to find anywhere. Have, have you had any um, like national press on what you're doing with NDIS stuff? We no. To be honest, we decided to. We're, we're nearly ready to start talking about. It. We're flying under the radar a little bit. Because I was going to say, I'd, I'd like to introduce you to some of my colleagues at the AFR. Yeah. Well, look, I'd love to share that it's story. Such a good story that. Yeah. You know, you're not just that evil property developer who just mm. wants to friggin' build a building and then phoenix it and like, so, you know so what I mean? You, like, you're going to sell some of them that you build in coughs and tweed and everything. Yeah, we look. We've been asked to sell them. Our strategy right now is to keep them. Mm. But like I said, um, there's too many people that need it not to sell. Not yeah. if if I knew that there was buyers out there that would would join me on the journey, I could definitely combine my resources with theirs and we might be able to do another hundred, you know. Can the families of the disabled buy it and still use the scheme? They can. Um, A lot of families, though, on the NDIS simply can't afford it. Mm. And and also because their family member has some disability that may change Mm. their circumstances of living in that property, um, they often are quite happy just to rent because yeah. then they can move if, if they need to be, say they're out in regional, you know, um, New South Wales and they're living in a property and they need to be closer to care, so a hospital for rehab or, or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and, and if you're still listening, um, traditionally NDIS properties haven't been the best investment over the journey because, as you mentioned before, Racer, they're too far out of town, they're, they're in – no good areas and they've got no infrastructure and no public transport, whereas you're actually flipping the coin on that. It's almost the reverse. They're, yeah. they're in CBD or uh, on a train line or close to 
yeah. buses and everything New else. New shopping centres, you know, it's got to be within a couple of blocks of the main street or a hospital or, or a precinct. Um, you know, my vision for it is in situ means in place. Mm. And I, I've always loved the name and so I, I own this in situ housing domain and um, I want to bring people back in place so that they're in where they need to be. They, they, they have a great connectivity. They've got community around them and, and there's opportunities for other developers, even mum and dad investors to get involved and, and support this type of housing. For those who are listening who are really into property, like how important has it been for you to get professional advice along the way? Oh. Like are you one that didn't want to do it and I'll do it myself? Like what's – No, no, it's important and, you know, we've always engaged with the best accountants. Yeah. And you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, right? And yeah. I've always – and, I, you know, all due respect to Uncle Peter's out there, I use that a little bit that um, – the advice, you pay for it because you're expecting the best advice. So mm. my tip would be if you're starting a journey and you want to find out should you be doing it in family trusts or um, unit trusts or whatever it may be, you know, go and sit down with a, a licensed financial planner or an accountant and then work out what suits you and your family and, and what where you want to end up because um, that's – I do stuff in my own name. I've got stuff with my business and, you know, it's all different. Mm. It's all got different rules around it. Yeah, awesome. No, I really appreciate that insight. All right, thanks, we better Rosa. let this guy get back yeah. to work. So He's busy, man. Thanks so much, Luke from uh, Third Eye. Appreciate it. No Very problems. Good. Thanks, guys. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 